And as we dig into your word, Lord, as we look at the scriptures, Lord, as we read your word, Lord, I just pray for your Holy Spirit's guidance, Lord, as we see how we can take this scripture, Lord, your, your word, and how we can apply it to our lives, how we can see what lessons we can learn, how we can see how we can take it and go out from here and use it in our daily walk, Lord. So, Lord, I just pray that this would be from your Holy Spirit, Lord. This would be your word, not my words. This lessons that we would take would be guided through you, Lord. So, Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to study your word. And I just thank you for your word, your revelation of who you are to us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 23. Now, as we continue in Matthew chapter 23, I want to make a few points that we should remember. Uh, we actually, I taught on Matthew chapter 23 about three or four weeks ago. I'm not sure what it was, the first 12 verses. But as we get going, I want you to think about something because it's, it's addressing right away. It's thinking, it's addressing these religious leaders. And I think in context, as I was studying and thinking about that, our perception is different today of a re, what a religious leader is and what it was in Jesus's time. So a, a religious leader in Jerusalem in Jesus's time would be very, very different from being a pastor in today's culture, right? So I think we had to have a little bit of context there. Because you think about Israel's history and what it was. is culture, their daily life was centered around its relationship with God. And it, that was done through these religious leaders. So it was very different than a pastor today. Now these, these religious leaders in the day, they were very popular. They were very powerful. In the day, they were the most respected people in the community. And so you've got to remember and kind of put yourself in that situation as we start talking about this in Matthew 23. Now, if you look at Matthew 23, we read the first 12 verses before, and I, I taught on that. And just start, look at right at verse 1, and we can see that Jesus is in a, issuing a warning to us about the religious leader's behavior. Do you remember some of that? So you can see, look at verse 1. It says, Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples. So he's talking to all the people, right? The crowds, the disciples. But he's talking about the religious leaders. And Jesus, he's going to rebuke the religious leader in the strongest way almost possible. Because these religious leaders in Jesus' time, they had become hungry for power. They had hungry for money, maybe hungry for status. And due to their own selfish desires and, you know, their fleshly desires, they had lost sight of God. And they become blind to really the truth of who God was. And this blindness that was throughout this, throughout the religious leaders, it was spreading to the whole nation of Israel. And Jesus, he didn't want that. So we're going to talk about sorrows today. And we're going to, as we continue, and I, I just want you to remember kind of, as I want to define that word before we even start. What is sorrow? In some of your versions of your Bibles, it might say woes. So I wanted to define that before we even get going. So the sorrows that we're going to see in the verses as we get going, it's a mixture. It's a, it's a, it's a strange word, really. It's a mixture of condemnation, right? Because it is condemnation. But it's also regret, and you could say is, it's woes. So we need to understand what Jesus is saying when he says, what sorrow awaits you before we start in the passages. I mean, it's a complex word. It's kind of difficult. Sorrows, it's a term also that warns 
of judgment to come. But it also, it conveys a feeling also of regret. And the regret is, Jesus' heart is, he wants the, the, the people to repent. He wants the listeners to repent. So it's sorrowful. So it's kind of a complex word. So as we dig deep into these seven sorrows that we're going to see, starting in verse 13, I want all of us to think as we get going to examine your own walk with Jesus. Because as we get into these sorrows, these seven woes, many of us will say, well, that I don't have a problem with any of these, right? But I want you to really, you know, I, I agree with you. Most of us will never, hopefully, I hope, I pray, will never far fall as far as these religious leaders did. But consider, even in a small way, how you could fall into some of these sins that Jesus is going to go through. So turn, we're in Matthew 23, and we're just going to do a quick review of the first 12 verses, because it's been two or three weeks since we were there. So we see Jesus speaking to the religious leaders, right? But he's really addressing us, so remember that. He's addressing us, and he's warning all of us, using the religious leaders as an example in their actions, as a warning to each one of us of not to fall into these sins. Remember, if you look through this, we're not going to go just kind of kind of glance over that first 12 verses, we see a series of instructions, right? You see to obey God's word in there. You also see Jesus is very clear not to follow the religious leader's example, remember, but to follow the word of God. He also warns us about seeking exaltation from men. He talks about titles, remember that? And we also talked about the chairs, remember? The big chair thing, how... And this time he talks about the, the people they want to sit in the big chairs up front. And so we talked about that in Myanmar culture, how you see some of that. And you see it in today's churches. So as a reminder in the first 12 verses that we are to be servants in our community. Just to sum up that first 12 verses. But today we're going to start in verse 13. And Jesus is going to expound what you could call sins or even crimes of the religious leaders. And it's a reminder to us of what not to do. Today's sermon title, I called it Bad Apples. So many of you are familiar with apples, right? What happens, you've got a bushel of apples, a basket of apples. What happens if you have one bad apple inside of that bushel? It sours all the rest of them. So, this is kind of what Jesus is talking about. He's seen these, there's some bad apples within these religious leaders, and Jesus is warning us and the disciples about them. So we're going to start today in verse 13. Let's read verse 13. What sorrow awaits you, child, you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites! For you shut the door on the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You won't go in yourselves, and you don't let others enter either. They were causing a roadblock, or you could say they were shutting the door in front of people, the door that would lead them to faith in Jesus. They were causing a roadblock. They were coming between them, the people that would seek Jesus, and Jesus. They'd created a barrier between the people and God. Now, obviously, that's not how we should be. We instead should be building bridges, really, right? We should be building bridges that would help people come to Jesus. As people are looking to Jesus, we should never, ever be stumbling to someone who is seeking out the Lord. 
Now, I don't know about all of your Bibles. You notice verse 14 is missing in most of your Bibles? You guys notice that? Depends what translation you have. Any of the new modern translation, your verse 14 will be missing. Some of the older translations do have verse 14. I'm going to read it. Um, it says, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees? Hypocrites! You shamelessly cheat widows out of their property and then pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public. Because of this, you will be severely punished. Again, this verse actually is not in my Bible. And the reason is, is if you looked back to the oldest transcripts we have of the book of Matthew in the Greek, this verse is actually not in there. And so some different translations have left it out because it's actually not in the oldest transcripts. And it's interesting, it is in Mark and also in Luke, though. So it's not completely out of context, but it's kind of a strange, different kind of thing. So if you ever want to look, it's Mark chapter 12, verse 40, it's there. And it's also in Luke chapter 20, verse 47. But it's more than likely the scribes at some point had added it in because it was very similar to another passage. And so we actually, we're not going to study too much on that. So we're going to continue right to the second woe, or the second sorrow. Look at verse 15. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cross land and sea to make one convert, and then you turn that person in twice the child of hell you yourselves are. Strong language, huh? Very strong. These these religious leaders there are making false converts. Those, these people that had been converted, they believed they were saved. But they were led to a false gospel. These people believed they were saved, but they were truly ignorant to who Christ was because of these false teachers. Think about that. Does that happen today? We are, we are led to know the saving grace of Jesus, right? We know that it is Jesus who saves. We know it is Jesus who is God. We know that Jesus came here to this earth, allowing himself to be placed on the cross, allowing our sins to be placed on himself, paying our price for the sins. And we know he died. But he rose again in three days. He was resurrected and then he ascended into heaven. I say this because this false gospel is still out there today. I believe there's still people, there's people right in this own city preaching a different gospel, a different Jesus. And these people that are converting to these different religions, they, just like the people here, they believe they're saved. They believe, they say, I believe in Jesus. But once you talk to them, it's a different Jesus. It's not the same. So I believe that this scripture today, this scripture we read today can apply directly to the Jehovah Witness and the Mormon religions. It's a different Jesus. I believe also that, I mean, that's just a broad statement, but it can apply to anyone who's preaching a different Jesus or a different gospel, such as salvation by anything else than faith alone in Jesus Christ. So we have to be careful about this. It's a very severe word from Jesus describing these people. If you look at different translations, children of Satan is how he describes them. So let's see the third sorrow or the third woe in verses 16 through 22. Blind guides, what sorrow awaits you? For you say that it means nothing to swear by God's temple, but that it is binding to swear by the gold in the temple, 
blind fools. Which is more important, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? And you say to swear by the altar is not binding, but to swear by the gifts on the altar is binding. How blind! For which is more important, the gift on the altar or the altar that makes the gift sacred? When you swear by the altar, you are swearing by it and by everything on it. And when you swear by the temple, you are swearing by it and by God, who lives in it. And when you swear by heaven, you are swearing by the throne of God and by God, who sits on the throne. These leaders have been guides for the blind. They should have been leading people to light, right? That was their responsibility as a religious leader, to lead people to Jesus, to lead people to God. But you see here, instead, Jesus calls them out. They were actually blind themselves. And in these verses, we see that they were making oaths or promises or, um, you know, uh, how would you say it? can't think of the word. Uh, convent? No, sorry. Get the word anyways. So oaths are promises. And, but you see here in this, what he's really talking about is they were making these oaths or these promises before creation, not the creator. So if you look back at that verse. Now, Jesus is using a lot of different, if you look through that, you can look back to the Old Testament and you can see all these examples are in the Old Testament. And as you look through there, as he's talking about the altar and swearing by the altar and swearing by the temple. These are all things that were in the Old Testament. So the people of Jesus' day, they would understand exactly what Jesus was talking about. Now we look in our culture and we read all that. It was a lot to read. And we're like, we're not quite understand a lot of it. And if, it's really interesting if you go back to the Old Testament and study on that. But really, for us, what's it mean today? I, I mean, I could go into all the different things there. But the lesson is very simple here, isn't it? No matter... Where or why a promise is made or when we give our word, we are to honor our word and let our yes be yes and our no be no. This is what this comes down to. I want to turn back in just a few chapters to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 33 through 37. You have also heard that our ancestors were told, you must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. But I say... Do not make any vows. Do not say by heaven, because heaven is God's throne. Do not say by the earth, because the earth is his footstool. And do not say by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Do not even say by my head, for you can't turn one hair white or black. Just say a simple, yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. Our words... Our promises, our word, they represent who we are in Christ Jesus. It's so important that we keep this. We are, as Christians, we are never to be deceitful or liars. We should, and we, should, we see here, we should never swear our word upon anything. We just need to keep our word. We need to do what we say. Our yes should be yes and our no should be no. It's so important as Christians. And there's a lot of information in these verses here. And, you know, as I was trying to see exactly what they meant, and I read one commentary I did want to share with you just to try to get the basic lesson out of this. And here it is. Ready? When the teachers of the law and the Pharisee took oaths, they, they, had, they, had, they differentiated. They saw a difference between which ones were binding and which ones were not binding. So they allowed... They would like kind of like, oh, I said it this way or I said it that way 
to try to give them a way to get out of what they said. So they, they, wouldn't, simple, they, were like, they wouldn't simply tell the truth, right? Say, oh, I, I did that one by the gold, or I did that one by the altar, or it was like a game they would play, literally. And so we have to be so careful because these, these leaders, they were very dishonest, and they were actually deceiving people, and that's what's caused Jesus to write this and to rebuke the religious leaders for what they were doing. So again, careful here. Woe to these people for not keeping their word, for being dishonest in their word. And just a warning to us. Let's look at the next one. Let's look at the fourth sorrow, verses 23 through 24. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites? For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income for your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Blind guides, you strain your water so you won't accidentally swallow a gnat, but you swallow a camel. They were so careful, these religious leaders, to follow every outside rule, right? And every tradition. But inside of them and inside their life, there was no integrity. There was no empathy. There was no sense of duty shown in their lives. These religious leaders, they were corrupt, cruel, and we've just seen they were full of broken promises. It's a lesson for us, right? And I, again, remember when I started this message, I said many of us probably will say we have not fell to the depravity that these leaders had. But I think in all of this, we can see some parts of this that we could struggle with. We are never to be dishonest, right? Like these religious leaders. We're never to be without compassion. Think of it that way. We're, we're never to be unbelieving as Christians. Now, Jesus is speaking clearly here, I believe, of legalism in this passage. You see, they did all the right things. The tradition, the rules. I mean, the tiniest little thing about going to your herb garden and cl- clipping a little piece of plant, right? And taking 10% of that little clipping to make sure and tithe that. This legalism never, ever leads to a correct relationship with Jesus. It leads one to believe that their own works could possibly lead them to being righteous before God. I want to turn, look at one verse, Hosea 6.6. 6. I like this verse. I've referenced it before. I want to show love. I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. I love that verse. Because do you know it is possible to obey all the rules, all the traditions, all the details, but still not have God in your life, in your heart? This is important. Let's look at this fifth sorrow. Turn back to Matthew. Matthew 25 and 26 we're going to look at. This is fifth one. What sorrow awaits your teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites, you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first wash the inside of your cup and the dish, then the outside will become clean too. These religious leaders were so careful to make sure that whatever you saw when you saw them, when you looked upon them, you would see them as holy or as righteous. Just looks, right? You look at them like, wow, looking at that person, that person is holy or righteous. But Jesus is very clear. This was only a facade. It was fake because their hearts were full of greed and self-indulgence. They were selfish and they had no self-restraint. Now, 
obviously, this is not how we're to be as Christians. We're to be generous and full of humility. And, you know, and us alone, we are really not that capable of doing them things. But through the power of the Holy Spirit living in us as Christians, we can be generous and full of humility. I know I can't do it without the Lord's help. I cannot do it. This next one, we're going to see a kind of a, this next woe, the sixth one is similar. It's really a second analogy of a similar thing. So let's look at it, 27 and 28. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people. But inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. You know, as you see this description, I think we can all get a visual of this, especially here in Myanmar, because I, I, you know, I've seen some beautiful tombs in Myanmar. I've been to a lot of outlying places, and you see graveyards, or I don't know the proper word for it, but you see the tombs. They're above ground, especially in the southern part. And you see these beautiful tombs, and I mean, all really, and they're white, actually, typically also, you know, big headstones and different decorations and inscribing. It's beautiful, right? Beautiful on the outside, right? And if you go to the States, you'll go to some cemeteries. I mean, they're just adorned. I mean, they're beautiful. But, you know, inside that box, what's in there? What's he say? Dead, rotten flesh. Severe warning. Looking upon these religious leaders, you would see a much different picture than what was inside of their hearts. A warning to us. In truth, these religious leaders were, they were they're wolves in sheep's clothing, defiant of God's true intention of the law. That poor bird. <laughs> I think a bird went into the window. So as we look at this and we see these whitewashed tombs in this analogy of what is inside and what is outside. We've seen two different analogies, from a dirty cup to a, to a tomb. I would pray that my insides, my character, would actually be better than what you would see on my outside. I mean, that's all of our hopes, right? That our insides would actually be better than you'd even see on the outside. Some of you are familiar with D.L. Moody. I think you've heard of him. He's pretty popular. Uh, he said it this way, if I take care of my character... My reputation will take care of itself. Take care of the stuff inside, and then the outside will come. People will see that. The last and the seventh sorrow, we're going to see in verses 29 through 33. What sorrow awaits your teachers of religious law, you Pharisees? Hypocrites! You build tombs for the prophets and your ancestors. You decorate the monuments of godly people your ancestors destroyed. And then you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would have never joined them in killing the prophets. But in saying that, you testify against yourself that you are indeed the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead and finish what your ancestors started. Snakes, sons of vipers, how will you escape the judgment of hell? Wow. Again, strong language. Very strong. But you can see here, Jesus is really, really... He wants it to be known. These people, they claim to be different from their spiritual fathers, right? These religious leaders in Jesus' time, they're like, we weren't like the religious leaders in the past who killed their prophets, right? We're different now. They said, we've turned from that ways. We've repented from that. We would never persecute God's messengers, God's prophets. That's what they're saying, right? But Jesus knew. Jesus knew what what they had done to John, the Baptist. They had just done that. 
Jesus knew what was to take place here in the very, what, in three days from this, when this text was actually done. I think two days, actually. This was on Tuesday. What was going to happen to him? He knew what was going to happen to the disciples. We know, as we look through our Bibles, Jesus had called these religious leaders many different names, right? You remember all the different names Jesus called these religious leaders? We see here he's called them hypocrites. He's called them blind, a broad of vipers. Now, in this verse, he adds something to the list. Now he's calling them snakes. Jesus is foretelling of the persecution of himself and the disciples here. And he's very clear. Jesus has warned them, right? This isn't the first time. Turn, we're going to turn to Luke. Chapter 11. This isn't the first time. Luke chapter 11, verse 47. 47 through 49. Again, this is Jesus warning them beforehand. What sorrows await you, for you build monuments for the prophets your own ancestors killed long ago. But in fact, you will stand as a witness who agree with what your ancestors did. They killed the prophets, and you join in their crime by building the monuments. This is what God in his wisdom said about you. I will send prophets and apostles to them, but they will kill some and persecute others. This isn't the first time. Now, there's another warning I'd like to look at. Let's turn to Acts. Just flip a few to the right. Acts chapter 7. Chapter 7, verse 51. Now, this is Stephen, right? So later on, after Jesus has been on the cross and resurrected, Stephen also tries to warn them. So look, Acts chapter 7, verse 51. You stubborn Now, you guys know this story, right? As I read this, you know what happens right after he says this. All right? You stubborn people, you are heathen at heart and death to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. Name one prophet your ancestors did not persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the come of the righteous one, the Messiah, who you betrayed and murdered. You deliberately disobeyed God's law, even though you received it from the hands of angels. You don't have to read very much further. uh, Three verses, they stoned Stephen for saying that. We know how this all turned out. It's clear here, though. Jesus makes it very, very clear. These people will be held accountable for the persecution of the prophets. Think about that. Jesus is he's proclaiming their future. So let's continue, and let's see what will be the results of what they've done. Turn back to Matthew. Matthew, verses 34 through 36. Therefore, I am sending you prophets and wise men and teachers of religious law, but you will kill some by crucifixion, and you will flog others with whips in your synagogues, chasing them from city to city. As a result you will be held responsible for the murder of all godly people of all time. From the murder of the righteous Abel to the merit of Zechariah, son of Bacrah, whom you killed in the temple between the sanctuary and the altar. I tell you the truth, this judgment will fall on every, on very, sorry, this judgment will fall on this very generation. Now you think about this. Jesus had just proclaimed this, right? This is pretty big, right? We know looking back what happened, that Jerusalem was destroyed and whatnot. But think about, just put yourself right in that story. Who was there? The crowds and the disciples. The disciples were hearing this whole message, right? Do you think they got it? 
They heard, just heard this, right? Oh, flogs and whips and crucifixion. They heard all of it. I'm, I don't think they put this prophecy together until much later. I'm sure of that. Um, but I'm sure later they're like, ah, oh, Jesus told us about this. Um, it's interesting. Is he, he, Jesus details the persecution of the disciples right there when they're listening. He tells them what's going to happen to them. It's clear that Jesus is, he's also bringing up the persecution of all, I mean all. He starts from the beginning to the end, all the persecution of every Old Testament prophet. And he proclaims the blood of every one of these prophets is on these leaders' hands. And it gets into a lot of prophecy and a lot of things. But after this, Jesus, he's going to continue. We're going to look at, we're going to finish up here in verse 37 through 39. And we're going to see the judgment, but he also cries out in sorrow. So let's look at these last few verses. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. How often I've wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings. But you wouldn't let me. And now look, your house is abandoned and desolate. For I tell you this, you'll never see me again until you say, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. In spite, in spite of Israel's rejection of him and what they did, Jesus leaves all of them with a promise. Hope. Do you see the promise? Do you see the hope? What was required of them? Do you see the love of Jesus in that? Even as he is rebuking the actions of these religious leaders and warning us of their sinful behavior. Jesus is still, in all of that, is weeping for the people. Even as wicked as they were, even as they had killed, he knew what was going to happen to him. He knew what was going to happen to the disciples. He knew what happened to all the prophets. But all he asked from them, all that was required of these people to be restored to a right relationship is to come to God in the name of Jesus. To come to faith in who Jesus was by blessing the name of Jesus and then they then would be blessed. Jesus is always welcome to restore a person. He always welcomes us no matter what they've done. Look what these people have done. Jesus just pronounced my name in faith to the Father. I read one commentary, and he said this way. Matthew Henry, maybe you've heard of him. He, and I put in quote Jesus to make sure you knew he was talking about Jesus, calls sinners to take refuge under his protection, keeps them safe, and nourishes them to eternal life. That's what Jesus wants. But he also is a fair and just God. So we see that also. As we looked at these passages, we suffered seven sorrows or seven woes. We see that? And Jesus explains these seven actions or lifestyles that you've seen from these religious leaders that brought God's anger upon whoever was practicing or walking in these sins. We saw that there. Now we're just going to go right back through that really fast. I want you to see it. Look at verse 13. Look at it in your Bibles. These people here, just to give you a real simple, they were preventing others from entering the kingdom of God and would not enter themselves. That's what they were doing. Look at verse 15. These people were converting people into a false religion, separating them from God like themselves. Look at verses 16 through 22. They were blindly leading people to find to follow man-made rules and traditions instead of leading them to God's word, the Bible, into a right relationship through Christ. Look at verses 23 through 24. These guys, they were all wrapped up in following all the details and all the traditions and all the rules, but they never followed the greatest commandment. They're all wrapped up in that. Look at verses 25 through 26. 
They kept the, up the outside appearances. They looked really good. They probably had a shirt like mine, right? Not. But their lives behind closed doors were defiled by sin. Look at verse 27 and 28. They loved, they loved to act super spiritual or super righteous. But all of this was only to cover up the deep sin that was within their lives. Look at 29 through 36. They pretended to have learned from the past. They show, They said, they said, we have repented from this behavior. But their present life told a whole different story, didn't it? Now, I hope as I read this and we look at this and these warnings that no one could be defined yourselves as one of these seven sorrows or seven woes. I hope not. But we can see this is all bad examples of what not to fall into or not what not to do. And most of us always be like, well, my life doesn't look like any of these seven sorrows or these sins that I see presented here, right? Then I ask, we're going to look at the opposite. So what's the opposite of each one of them seven? If you say, I, I'm, I don't have any of these in my life, then do you live out the opposite truth? So look at the first one. What's the opposite of that? Is you, the first woe. Go back to verse 13. We're going to go through them again. The opposite. Is your life or your walk as a Christian guiding people to seek a right relationship with, with God through Christ? Would that be the opposite of that? Is that a definition of your life? Can you give an example of that in your own life? Look at the second woe. Are you leading the people to Jesus? They would become disciples of Jesus. Can you answer yes on that? Third woe, are you following the instructions given in God's word and leading others to follow the word of God, not man's word, and also keeping your word as a Christian in all sense? Think of You have examples. Can you give an example? Next one, is your focus in life as a Christian to live out the greatest commandment, love God and love others? The next one, are you allowing the Holy Spirit to do a deep clean or a sanctification in your life so your insides are free of sin and not putting too much emphasis on our outside appearances, letting God do that work inside us. Is that what you're working towards? This other one, you're talking about tombs and whitewashing and giving facades, right? Are you living a life, ready? Are you living a life that is transparent? What about that one? Do people truly know you for who you are? What would they see behind closed doors on your laptop, on your Facebook? Are you truly transparent? Or are you living a facade, two different lives? So you say, ah, I'm not a whitewashed tomb, right? I don't do that. But really? What would we see? I don't know. Are you truly repentant? Have you turned from your sinful ways? We see in the religious leaders had not. Are we? That's the opposite. Now, so often I've asked here, and I've asked you guys, and I've really, really have asked myself, what is it to be a follower of Jesus? And I think as I got through that list, that's some great examples of what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And a lot of the times we see in these, these woes or these sorrows, it's what we should not be doing, right? It's a warning from Jesus. Don't do these things. That The religious leaders were doing them. Don't do them, right? So they're great examples. You can see. And again, we may not fall as far as they fell, There's always a little bit in there at times. Now, as we study this stern warning, God is it that Jesus had issued. I think you've got to reflect back and just remember, though, who Christ is and who Jesus is. Who is his character, right? 
Because in this stern rebuke and this stern warning and these stern sorrows, remember, his plan that he has always includes love and redemption. Because this is a difficult scripture. He just called people children of the devil. He just said they're filthy inside. He said all sorts of things. But his plan in the end is always redemption. It's always restoration. It's always love. Look at verse 37. You can see it. It says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messenger. How often? Because this beautiful picture. Just think of that. How often I've wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. So we see his intention. We're going to close, and I want to read Matthew chapter 5, because I think this is, as a worship team could head up as we read this, it'd be great. Matthew chapter 5, turn there. Many of you are going to be very familiar with this, the Beatitudes. And as we looked at these seven sorrows, right? Now, these aren't connected, like, in the teaching, but you see these, all these things, what not to do. Sorrow, woe to you, woe to you. Let's look at the Beatitudes and look at the blessings. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. So as we look at these woes today, Let's also remember the blessings that we have. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for this opportunity to dig into your word, Lord. Lord, as I I see these warnings that you're issuing us, Lord, and your disciples, Lord, these things that the religious leaders were doing, Lord, that were just not what we should be as followers of you, Lord. Lord, I just pray that we would recognize these seven woes and we would look at each one of them, Lord, and we would see that these things were not in our lives, Lord. And if there is even a small part of this, uh, inside of us, Lord, we would just come to repentance in that, knowing, Lord, that that's not the life that you seek for us, Lord. But in fact, you seek the blessings as if we have just read, Lord. You seek to bless us, Lord. You, you seek to gather us as a chick gather, as a hen gathers her chicks. So, Lord, we just come to you. If there's any of this in our life, or if we see it, Lord, we would just repent of it, and we'd come to know and just have a right relationship with you, Lord. And that we would actually live the opposite of this, Lord, as we would build bridges for people to come to know you, Lord. That we would dig deep and study your word, Lord. That we would be men of our word, Lord. Our yes would be yes and our no would be no, Lord. That we'd be transparent lives, Lord. The people that we'd meet and see, Lord, they would know that we love Jesus. And that's who we are inside and outside, Lord. So, Lord, let us just be your children. Let us just respond to this message in a, in a way that we would just look at our lives and see that we are how we can become the people, the the children that you would have us be, Lord. And Lord, I know that 
as I look at these things, Lord, I, I can't always, I can't do this, Lord. I can't do all these things on my own, Lord. But you have blessed us with your Holy Spirit. As we saw that last week, the, one of the blessings you've given us, Lord, is your Holy Spirit, Lord, which can guide us through all of this, Lord, and help us become the children that you would have us be, Lord. So, Lord, as we leave this place and as we continue worshiping you, Lord, let us just keep our hearts focused on this, Lord. And, Lord, as we, we leave this door, Lord, we enter the mission field, Lord. We enter to a lost and blind world, Lord. As we heard of the things that are taking place these next few weeks around here, Lord. Lord, just equip us to go out, Lord, and share that love of Christ, Lord. With no condemnation, no looking down upon, but just love, Lord, that they would know what a redeemed life looks like, Lord. So we praise you. We thank you for a special worship. As we continue, Lord, just, Lord, just bless this place. In Jesus' name, all God's people said.